0: The River region's first and only news talk station on FM. Live local talk. News talk 93.1 FM, WACV. Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, it's us! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What
1: the hell are we doing here?
0: We are behaving the way a superpower ought to be.
1: Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic.
0: Giving voice to liberty in our job. Joey Clark.
1: Ah, Hello and welcome to the program. You are listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. I hope you're listening once again and you keep up listening, because I'm going to keep up with the show. Oh, What a program we have tonight, because I told you I was going to be bringing on guests from all over the country, from all over the political spectrum. But tonight I had to start with a guest who really shares my love of liberty. A guest who is working hard in his own right, working with other brilliant people to bring liberty to the people. And that man, my guest tonight, is Jared LaBelle. He is the executive director of the Libertarian Institute, a big history buff, and the guy has a wicked pen. He is also very well-spoken. Jared, how are you tonight?
0: I am doing great. Thank you very much for having me on, Joey.
1: Yeah, this is this is a pleasure, and we've actually never spoken, so it's nice to meet you over the phone in this way. Yes. Um, now, let's begin on the personal level. You will get into how the Libertarian Institute was formed and where those uh, notions came from, because I think it's a fascinating story. When I saw yeah. the guys you're working with, I'm like, man, those are heavy hitters in the libertarian space. But let's start with you, how did you begin being aware of politics? Where did did you were you always a libertarian, or has there been some change in your life?
0: Well, I think I would say instinctively, I I kind of had a, a libertarian urge from the get go, both from my upbringing and my surroundings. I grew up in North Texas. Um, Our departed friend Will Grigg, uh, I think, formed it beautifully with what he called the Tom Joad test. Yes. And if you see a police officer beating a person, if you instinctively side with the person being bludgeoned versus the uh, authority figure, the incarnation of the state, um, you are inherently libertarian. If you're uh, instead... Uh, more so recognizing yourself within uh, the, the cop with the cudgel, um, you are more authoritarian by nature. So I think that was always an instinct of mine. But um, I have to say that growing up in North Texas, um, unfortunately, uh, my real political beginnings would start on April 19th of 1993 when I asked my, 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 mom, my mother and father uh, why this home was burning on television? Hmm. That home was the Branch Davidian uh, um, uh, church, uh, based in Waco, Texas. Um, there had been a 51-day siege, and eventually, uh, Bill Clinton and other authorities, uh, you know, burned that place to the ground, uh, killing dozens. Um, and that kind of uh, immediately um, opened my eyes because. My, my parents weren't very political, and they weren't trying to instill any type of view. They were just trying to explain that there were children, and there was a long standoff. There was an incident. The state was trying to help. Right. Well, if the state was trying to help, and that involved the deaths of dozens, um, I just couldn't really comprehend that. So at a very early age, I was aware of politics. Um, I, I would have uh, only been seven years old at that time. So wow. uh, it began pretty early for me.
1: Well, Now, and... I like to think I was always a a natural libertarian. In many ways, I have always been one. But I've also always been a sucker for uh, rhetoric and idealism. And so when I went in and... you know, started studying politics in college. I really thought, oh, you, it's going to be in the legislature these idealistic, well-informed people really having out their debates, like it's Mister Smith goes to Washington or um, like The West Wing, and some Don Quixote, you know, wonderful world where even though you know bad guys exist, it all ends in comedy. I have changed my opinion greatly. Um, I've become quite the cynic, as Carlin said. Scratch a cynic, you'll find a disappointed idealist. Incredibly disappointed these days. And luckily, my cynicism hasn't gone to sort of burn it all down, not in a literal sense. I have found the ideas of liberty and there were many avenues it came from. For me, it started with Ayn Rand. Where did you start to refine your ideas and really start to study the libertarian philosophy?
0: Well, um, I would say that probably began in high school. I, like many, um, you know, was influenced by the founding fathers. I, I thought the uh, initial ideas um, that they, you know, espoused at least on the surface of individual liberty, freedom, property rights. I, I thought those things made sense. Um, Thomas Jefferson and the Declaration of Independence um, held a, a, a great uh, um, place in my heart. Um, but in my library in Texas, I wound up coming across David uh, Thoreau, Henry David Thoreau, um, and started reading about civil disobedience. And I came across a, a collection of Lysander Spooner's works, oh, which yes. is not the Mises Institute, uh, um Version. I guess there's one that's called Let's Abolish the Government or something like that, that Murray Rothbard helped put together. And it wasn't that version, and I can't seem to find it, but it had uh, um, certain points in there, uh, some of his essays, uh, Vices Are Not Crimes, um, which I think today uh, will, will resonate with, with many people. Um, and also the unconstitutionality of slavery. Uh, Lysander Spooner, for those who aren't aware, which I totally get why you should not be, no one should, should have to have this packed away in their mind, but I find it incredibly interesting that Lysander Spooner was an inventor, an entrepreneur, uh, a lawyer. Um, he was also um, an abolitionist uh, during the time of the Civil War, mm. as well as a defender of secession. Um, Now, he also advocated the arming of the free people of the South and those enslaved to overthrow their masters. So this isn't your average uh, type of take on the Civil War, but it has uh, many great, I think, libertarian lessons from it. So um, I got started with some really interesting people at a very young age, and that would have been right about the dawn of the Second Iraq War, which is when I found Antiwar.com. So between finding some... Philosophical libertarian leanings about uh, property and individualism and then my instinctual gravitation towards uh, peace and commerce. Uh, those were really my, my main influences. And uh, I can't thank Eric Garris enough for founding Antiwar.com.
1: Absolutely. I and you know, I've found all this stuff late, man. Like, I was working conservative talk. I still do every day, but I'd been working for a while. All I knew was a little bit of Ayn Rand. I'd let, read a little bit of uh, Mises and Rothbard. But then I discovered there's this whole community out there. And that's why I wanted to bring on folks from all different perspectives, because even within libertarianism, There are people that have come to these ideas from different routes. So it's amazing that you jumped right into Lysander Spooner and (laughs) antiwar.com. I think that is the right place to to be. The last uh, thing that really fell from my mind and made me a libertarian, I think, in the full sense, was when I started to advocate against war, to see that war Mm -hmm. is craziness. It is the health of the state. It is the birth of the state. It is essentially stealing from people to go kill people you've never met. And this is supposed to be what keeps us safe. I I find it, it mass murder is what I think. Now, I'm not naive in the sense that it does happen. This has been the history of mankind. But it makes me want to step back and go, man... The government, the state, and the culture around that government really does change your perspective. Why is it that all these folks I know who are very against murder, all of a sudden when it's time for war, go, yeah, let's start killing. And I try not to say, all oh, those folks are lost. I think that's just how most people have been raised. that This is part of you know human nature. This is part of human existence. And so was it just it resonated immediately with you that – You know, I for me it was tough. It was like, well, war
0: happens. Mm -hmm. Um, I I, I think I think part of it's instinctual, some of it is is my family. Um, like uh, pretty much everyone, uh, you know, I I come from uh, you know, only a few generations uh, off the boat, so to speak, um, and different sides of my family, um, and and families are torn apart by war uh, constantly. And since I realize that some of your audience may lean more conservative, um, I should remind them and I think you're exactly right. There is nothing conservative about war. War is another government program. If you think the government is bad at uh, operating the DMV or collecting your taxes, why do you think they should be in charge of large platoons of people and tanks and drones and secret kill lists? For those who were uh, afraid of what Obama was doing, they now see Trump. You look back to Bush, you look back to Clinton. Um, I think every time that different parties come into power, people wash out of the main left-right paradigm or conservative Democrat uh, or a Republican liberal uh, type type flip. Um, I think it takes it takes time. Right. Um But, you know, I would say someone like Carl Hess, who he was a speechwriter for Barry Goldwater, that fiery speech in 64 that everyone remembers Goldwater for. Carl Hess wrote that, and he said, whenever you put your faith in big government for any reason, sooner or later, you wind up an apologist for mass murder. Wow. I think that's absolutely right.
1: Well, and some people might find that shocking, but just look at history, recent history, Um, and Let's just say that when the totalitarian governments in Europe rose up and the totalitarian government in Russia rose up, let's just say Goebbels looked at what FDR was doing and said, oh, I love your economic program. That it's, I look at the World Wars, especially World War II, as almost a struggle between brothers. Now I'm happy. I have to say that America won that war compared to Nazis. If we're picking lesser evils, I usually don't like to play that game. But before we keep going into more of these specific topics, I want to move back to the Libertarian Institute and how this idea came about. Now you started. You this came up with Scott Horton, Will Grigg, and Sheldon Richmond.
0: Yes. Yes, um, and uh, unfortunately, Will passed earlier this oh, yeah. year. Uh, Will was a, a terrific journalist, and I'd like to talk about him for a moment, but uh, about the organization itself. Um, I have been following all of these gentlemen's work. Um, you know, Part of the reason uh, I am who I am today and my political views have shifted and I've been informed uh, because of the work of, of Sheldon Richman and Scott Orton and Will Grigg Uh, Sheldon has uh, worked within the libertarian movement for decades. Um, He's our great Um, anti-statesman. He's a jack of, of all trades and a master of all of them. We would like to always remind him he's great on economics and foreign policy. Um, I I just, uh, you know, I can't say enough good things about Sheldon Richman uh, and his book uh, about the U.S. Constitution, uh, America's Counter-Revolution, is also available on Amazon, and uh, it was uh, forwarded by uh, Jeffrey Tucker from the Foundation of Economic Education. Um, So Sheldon has been writing uh, for years as well with the Future of Freedom Foundation, uh, and then Scott has worked for Antiwar.com for over a decade. And so before I ever got to know him on a first name basis, I already had his interviews stuck in my head and him telling me why the wars were bad. And Scott, uh, like me, uh, grew up in Texas and had many of, of the same interactions with local police and uh, some of the same upbringing that uh, I knew that his take on foreign policy was uh, straight to the core of uh, of libertarianism but most of his guests aren't necessarily libertarians they're journalists they're whistleblowers former government officials um, and, and so uh, between uh, the three of them uh, and Will's beat was always, uh, at least for the last decade, of police brutality and the domestic police state.
1: Well, and I want to mention Will Grigg because, unfortunately for me, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a bit of a latecomer to the Liberty Movement. I wish I'd started earlier. And so I remember hearing Will Grig on Scott Horton's show. I remember reading a few pieces I would see you know, on Lou Rockwell all over the place. Um, I've I heard him on a few other shows, and when you read Will Grig, folks, he could take such a contentious issue as police brutality that usually inflames passions, and he would pull no punches. Don't get me wrong, but he had such a graceful way of putting things to where it wasn't—he wasn't necessarily trying to just inflame passions. He was trying to say, "Follow the logic here." follow what is happening here do not think in terms of government people, think in just in terms of people and I would really, I feel like I can't do service to Will Grigg because I was such a late comer to what he was doing but I hope that you can share with us not only who Will Grigg was but how people can discover some of his writing hear some of his spoken word he, he spoke in prose it was remarkable, I wish I could speak that well
0: I and and I can't do service to Will either. I uh every day uh, I am I am saddened that uh, I, I don't have the opportunity to, to speak with him again. Um, I'll be talking to Scott and randomly we both just Will's not around and it's hmm. just it's heartbreaking because you're exactly right. He spoke just as he wrote if not better, or in reverse. He he was just a a champion of the pen and of the microphone. Um, His background was interesting. Um, He he loved music for years. Um, He had studied history in college. Um, but he wound up working with the John Birch Society for a number of years. And um Will, uh his handle uh was Blarney Concarne. Um and he he understood his ancestry uh to be Irish and and, and Mexican specifically. Hmm. Um later on um he found his adopted mother and, and he's written some great wrote some great things about that interaction and finding his mother and finding more about his history. Um But he, I think from his own words, he started to feel as if he was the token brown guy in the organization. Mm -hmm. Um, And he wanted to speak out about what he saw happening with uh, the police. And the John Birch Society um, was moving with support your local police, no questions asked. And Will said, that's just not right. We're conservatives, aren't we? Um, That's where he came from, the conservative Mm -hmm. movement. And over time, he, he, moved into more libertarian circles and, uh, he identified as a, as a Christian individualist, um, as an anarchist by the time, uh, he he had passed. Um, and he thought that was all within the teachings of of Christ and he was, uh, very much a, a believer. And so he tried to speak to that audience. I think that's where he really came in key, um, to be able to speak about such a contentious issue as police brutality and speak to an audience, which, sometimes reflexively will support the state in that issue. Um, and I just, uh, I, I, I miss him every day. Um, luckily, we do have his audio recordings. Um, he, you can find a portion of his archive currently at libertarianinstitute.org uh, uh, slash uh, uh, freedomzealotradio. Um, we still have uh, more to upload from his past archives as well. Um, and we still have uh, more of his writing to put online, as well as a series of unpublished uh, articles from him. He was in preparation for releasing a book uh, at his untimely passing. So uh, we will have more. Um, it's just unfortunate that he's he's not here to uh, to to comment on what's happening. Uh, you know, Dan Sanchez from the Foundation of Econom- Foundation for Economic Education. Pardon me. Yes, uh, had had published a pieces uh, as well from Will um, in the couple months before he passed, talking about the rise of the, the alt-right and Antifa. And uh, Will was so incisive with his commentary, it's just a shame that he's not here to uh, talk.
1: It is a right. shame. It's like the the good ones died too soon. And for folks, again, folks, you have to just look up Will Gregg. Follow where Jared just told you at the Libertarian Institute. and. Because we can't do him justice. It's like talking about some great musician or great artist. You have to just go look for yourself. So, folks, please check out Will Griggs' work. And I just know from my experience reading his work that he was able to take general concepts out of very particular situations. I think often in the discussion over the the police being overzealous uh, that We think in these broad terms. We go, well, I haven't seen my police department do that. Uh, I haven't seen that with my own eyes. Where Will could take a very personal story. He would do all this background on the people that had been abused. He would do background on the history of a particular police department. I remember reading one piece on a juvenile correction facility and how children were being abused. Mm -hmm. And he would take these particulars and really set a scene. And then out of that scene, he would show that this isn't just a one-off. These trends have been happening over the last few years, over the last decade or two. And he is so well, well put, so insightful. Uh, folks, check out Will Gregg. Now, I want to go back to the Libertarian Institute because I want to know where y'all are going. What is exactly is the goal? I know to spread the message. Uh, the idea of liberty, but say you met somebody at a conference or an elevator pitch who knew nothing about libertarianism, really, they maybe go, oh, you're an Ayn Randian. Uh, <laughs> so, how would you give your elevator pitch to somebody? What is, What are you all about?
0: I would say that the Libertarian Institute is interested in reaching out to both our fellow libertarians, those who are already interested in those ideas, as well as people who have never heard of these before um i think that right now with our first publication uh, by scott horton which is called fool's errand time to end the war in afghanistan um we're able to bridge the gap between left and right uh, the book has been well acclaimed uh, on the front cover uh, we have daniel ellsberg on paul and patrick coburn so we have a foreign policy analyst Ron Paul, former Republican member of Congress, and Daniel Ellsberg, the leaker of the Pentagon Papers. Um, you can't really get more transpartisan on a front cover of a book than, than that. Um, and we, we've had a, a tremendous response. So that is just our first initiative. Uh, the war issue is something that uh, all four of us founding the Institute uh, thought that needed to have a broader presence and a much more importance within the libertarian movement. Um, since the 2003 Iraq War, uh, there have been fissures even within the libertarian movement about this issue. Yes. Uh, as you stated earlier, the, you know it's not a monolithic movement at all. There's some basic precepts that many can agree upon, and there's a, a lot of differences of opinion. Uh, for, unfortunately, there are a number of libertarians who are very bad on those war issues and um, have severely hurt the anti-war cause. Um, we hope. N- in the age of Trump, we can reach out to people across the spectrum and try to bridge those gaps on issues of police brutality, uh, foreign policy, economics, and talk about radicalizing markets.
1: Well, folks, thank you so much for listening. Again, we're talking to Jared LaBelle. He is the executive director of the Libertarian Institute. And on this topic of war, I recently wrote a piece saying that why we have every blast president, Bush runs on a humble foreign policy. 9-11 happens, and anybody who studied 9-11, you have to look into. It really, in my mind, is a case of, yes, a pretty nasty ideology, but also a lot of blowback from the United States' actions abroad. There's a reason that terror group struck the United States in the way they did. And It was more than just their ideology that well, does play a part. Um, then you see that that reaction to 9-11 leads to, again, the toppling of Saddam, which leads to more terrorism in the territory. We're still dealing with that legacy. So Barack Obama comes around, and he runs against these wars of choice, only to choose his own wars in Libya and in Syria, supporting a lot of what was going on in the Arab Spring. He essentially did what Bush was doing, except for through covert means instead of conventional armed forces. And now you have Donald Trump coming along. He did say he was going to bomb the shaving cream out of ISIS. (laughs) But he was sounding more like a a realist. And this is where we're at as libertarians that we're hoping for just a little bit better. Like, come on, just a little bit. Like, let's pull out of Afghanistan. You're right, Donald. It is a waste of time and money. But then he just recently changed his position on Afghanistan. And I'm wondering is it because of the nature of where the United States is globally with its military obligations, with its financial obligations, where how its economy is built and reliant on protecting these certain parts of the world? And I think Scott, I actually listened to an interview about his book, of Fool's Errand. Uh, recently, and he doesn't make the case that if you pull out of Afghanistan, everything's going to be hunky-dory there. He's just saying that it's time for the United States to get out of this fight because there are no good guys to pick from. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a key point to me. I wonder what you think of this, is that I think the United States is an empire and that empires, even though you didn't want them, even though you might have inherited them, that pulling them back can cause some problems. But it's probably worth those costs, in my mind, and that's what I would decide. What say you about this?
0: You are absolutely right, and that was a, a great rundown of the last couple decades of foreign policy in a nutshell. Um, I, I look at uh, a couple different uh, economic measures. Uh, the economist uh, uh, Bob Murphy makes the point um, that when he says, you know, we shouldn't do quantitative easing, or maybe we should end the Fed, or you know, whatever suggestions. Um, or points he may be making, he he always, I think, tries to insert, um, but remember, I'm not promising you you, utopia. There's going to be a correction. Now, correction now is going to hurt a lot less than if we continue to inflate the currency or massively overspend or run up more debt. Um, Making the correction now will be less painful. Scott makes that point as well. Things aren't going to be great for everyone. It's un- very unfortunate. But when do we say enough is enough and we have to pull back? Afghanistan is the graveyard of empires. Yes. Uh, it, it, you don't get that type of uh, of name just thrown around uh, casually. And there's reason for it. And And so right there, you can look at just a microcosm of U.S. foreign policy of Decades ago, the Carter and Reagan administrations working and funding the Mujahideen, uh, the holy warriors in Afghanistan, to fight the evil commies. And they pushed them out, and then they said, now we're coming for you. And they used those terms. Uh, Scott would be uh, definitely the one to to talk about all the details, but uh, I know one of the leaders at the time was, was telling our friend uh eric margulies that uh we will turn the guns on to the u.s empire after this and he was Mm. shocked eric margulies that i've never u.s empire what do you mean you know we're we're doing good in the world and you brought up earlier the west wing which is great i really enjoyed that show for what it was yeah but what i think more so is is a good formation of our reality is house of cards yes I think, I think when people watch that, they get the sense that, okay, wait a second. These people are all self-interested, just like anyone else. They have personal squabbles between each other that bleed over into politics and policy. Um, it makes more sense. The West Wing is what we all possibly aspire to. Despite whatever the politics of any particular part of that show was, it was everyone is doing good for everyone else. Well, and I think well,
1: S- Sorkin would admit to that. He, he says he's mm-hmm. not that... Sophisticated politically, and his favorite book is Don Quixote. So everything is idealistic, um, and so it and that's fair enough. And Sorkin admits that completely. But I, I apologize for interrupting. I just had to get that no. in there because he no, no. does uh, he does a good job. Like I my intro, I used the West Wing saying, "Why are we behaving this way? We're behaving how a superpower should b- behave. Well, our behaviors created some crappy results, and this is." I love seeing somebody you wish your president was in the Oval Office actually thinking these things that we're having this empire and it's crappy results and what's so effective about House of Cards is also it's the fourth wall breaking. I think Mm -hmm. folks thought Trump was that candidate. The the guy who was going to all of a sudden on national TV from behind the desk in the Oval Office say, okay folks cut the crap. Here I'm going to tell you some deep dark secret and I don't think that's going to happen. I think Trump has yeah. sort of backed off. What you were saying about House of Cards, uh, I apologize. Go on. That it is politics is this rough and tumble game. It is a competition, a violent competition between different interests, and they often can overlap with personal problems. Mm-hmm. Yes, go a- on. Ab-
0: absolutely, and and uh, you know we can see that you know live in the Trump administration between uh, his. Family squabbles that bleed over into who he puts on his staff and the inner staff squabbles between um, realists versus nationalists versus alt right or or however you would like to characterize some of these uh, other individuals, uh, you know, as former uh, henchman uh, um, Steve Bannon. So I, you know, I I think it's just more of the same. And um, I understand wanting to believe that something's going to change. I understand looking for instances where you can provably say, okay, well, there's a less likelihood that Donald Trump will engage in a nuclear war with Russia than Hillary Clinton. That doesn't necessarily mean you should cast a ballot for him, but I can understand that the analysis. um, And and that's where we start to get into some of the the inter- libertarian debates about this kind of thing, which is, is perfectly interesting and fine, just as when people argue over Milton Friedman and, and Murray Rothbard. The fact is, they're both great economists, and they're both dead. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I, I, I think they both contribute different ways uh, to our ideological underpinnings and our understanding of, of human freedom, um, but having uh, those type of uh, uh, pissing contests uh, doesn't necessarily help us out today. Right. Um, especially when we see what's going on abroad, and as you have put it about, about this, everything else. I mean, your, your new show debuted on 9-11, the 16th anniversary. Um, 16 years of constant perpetual war. It's amazing.
1: It's remarkable, and we couldn't... Rand Paul, who is not a, some stalwart libertarian in the sense you're talking about, is just trying to get Congress to say admit, at least, that the authorization to use military force passed after 9-11 did not authorize the seven wars going on right now. Maybe the one in Afghanistan. That's it. Like It doesn't authorize the other six. Uh, Can we revisit this, Congress? Or are we just going to have the president be an elected emperor? And they voted him down. They Uh voted Rand Paul down. And this is what I find so disappointing. I don't think Jared, that we're immediately going to get our way anytime soon. And I'm prepared for that. But I wish that the definition of moderate and practical politics would flip from being big welfare state, big warfare state, to small welfare state, small warfare state. That there is, when I... People want to brand libertarians as a fringe movement. But I look at the backbone of what animates so many Democrats, so many Republicans, and they always keep coming back to, some ways, the liberty principle. And it's a shame that those folks who are in agreement on the liberty issues never seem to have the power. They are always the ones that are put on the back burner in practical politics. So Mm. I, I don't know why that is. Maybe it has a lot to do, I think, with the guys who are willing to shoot other people do end up winning, and I'm wrestling with that idea in my head. But... I hope that we can reach folks to say that when we are presenting, say, like Lysander Spooner or presenting anarchist market libertarianism, that, okay, you might not fully agree with us, but let's at least strive towards this. Let's make that our standard that we're going towards, because so often we get caught up in the short term political game. And right now, it's more guns, more butter, and I don't see any end to it. And I would rather libertarian ideas be implemented slowly but surely, rather than some big calamity happen and everybody rushes to fix the problem. I would rather people uh, you know, are persuaded rather than having to live with a tough reality, live the hard way. But I see that day coming.
0: And, uh, you know, uh, I really got interested in, in the a- actual politics of, of the world, I would say, during the 2007 and eight Ron Paul campaign. I was still living in Texas, and I had volunteered uh, for his campaign while in college. And uh, I had I had never been a part of any political party. And at that point, I didn't see any point in the third party or the Libertarian Party to my LP friends. Um, I just, you know, I'm not that political. I'm I'm currently a member of of the LP officially, um, but I am a market anarchist. I, I over time, have come to see the state as what Murray Rothbard described as a gang of thieves. Um, Taxation is theft. Uh, That is a meme that people uh, will frequently now see uh, going around, and perhaps you'll see that uh, uh, on uh, your receipt if you're working in the service industry someone t- tips you uh, a nice uh, nice couple extra bucks and they make sure that you say hey you know this is a gift taxation is theft <laughs> right um, <laughs> i think those those little things do help and, and what ron paul did uh, running um, basically a a speaking tour on behalf of Liberty knowing i think down deep that he had no chance of winning but maybe try to communicate with some people out there. And he wound up inspiring an entire generation of people, many who have moved far beyond where he stood. Because, again, he was an elected member of Congress, and sometimes I joke with people because I understand that, that if you come at these views um, too radically, if you just start spewing some of what you know, we've said today, you might want to distance yourself, or you might you know maybe be more interested in, in really hashing out a fight Right. Um. It, um. I think what what Ron did was uh, he he helped open up the door um, uh, for uh, a lot of people to start thinking about the the nature and the role of government today, and I, I think I think that is is fantastic.
1: Well, and, and coming up, and we've got to take a quick break here, folks. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. My guest tonight is Jarrett LaBelle from the Libertarian Institute, and coming up, I want to hash out a little bit of. Between, you know, Ron Paul would cite anarchist writers, but he, I think at the end of the day, was a classical liberal. Um, Maybe would go a little further on some days. So I want to hash it out when we get back from this short break. And before we hit the break, I have to say the record, the vinyl record of the day, is Houses of the Holy. I just got an original UK pressing when this first came out, first edition, And so the first song I ever learned on guitar, folks, was Over the Hills and Far Away. But coming back, we'll play more from Houses of the Holy. We'll keep talking to Jared, hash out some of these ideas. Be right back.
0: The River Region's News Talk Station. News Talk 93.1. WACV. News Talk 93.1. Joey
1: Clark.
0: Uh, Welcome back to the Joey Clark
1: Radio Hour. Again, my guest tonight is Jared LaBelle, Executive Director of the Libertarian Institute. And Jared, where we left off as we're listening to the song remains the same. You know, there are all these competing theories out there for how we should govern ourselves, how we should use political power. You hinted at it earlier. Because I'm seeing from my humble perch, mostly working with conservatives every day, there is a fight over what that word means and what Republican means. There's sort of the Trump wing that's very nationalist in its sensibilities. There's Then the establishment that's almost, some might call it neoliberal or European conservatism. They're not interested really in living up to the liberty rhetoric they use. And then you have, again, the neoliberal wing of Democrats, as some on the left might use that term. And then you have more of your democratic socialists. So I sit here and go, where does libertarianism fit into all of this because to me it's all the song remains the same that are any of you going to do anything on these major issues of war mass surveillance the violation of civil liberties by police officers on and on and on with the drug war with economic restrictions there are so many things and yet all of them seem to just be competing over control of folks lives without any major changes in my mind
0: I think you're absolutely right, and I think that's where libertarian com- libertarianism comes in—that um, that power uh, needs to be uh, taken away and uh, and less concentrated uh, amongst uh, people, because as we uh, have seen, uh, the consequences can be dire. Um, I referenced uh, earlier Carl Hess. Um, the uh, speechwriter for uh, Republican Senator Barry Goldwater. And I, I love uh, the the way that he ends uh, one of his essays, if I may. Uh, he says, liberty, finally, is not a box into which people are forced. Liberty is a space in which people may live. It does not tell you how they will live. It just says, eternally, only that we can. Wow. And I, I, I think that explains so much, and it's so beautifully written. I, with could claim it as my own, right. um, but but Carl was someone who worked within the Republican Party, worked within conservative politics, and at the same time gravitated to working with uh, leftists, working against the Vietnam War, burning draft uh, cards, and working with the SDS, Students for Democratic while he was still writing speeches for goldwater um and he and he says for the most part his ideology didn't really change he was always an anarchist and a voluntarist as he put it um he was against hierarchical power structures and he like murray rothbard and some other fellow travelers um saw that meaning um making thing bedfellows to work on politics he worked with the panthers um and again was was working against the vietnam war while at a time his boss was advocating of ramping it up um yeah. so politics makes for very strange bedfellows and i think we would be much better off with less politics um but i think carl Hess has a lot to teach us
1: you know, and that's where i've come to is it's about the personal no one intended trump's politics personal is over politics i'd really do advocate, you know, I I always have to be careful, you know, as a white guy in Montgomery, Alabama, if I start screaming about secession, I get how it can look to some people. But now I can point to, hey, there's all the support for California leaving the union. Go for it, guys. Or let, you know, certain parts of it. Uh, I think there's a great history in secession. If Without secession, the United States wouldn't exist in the first place, seceding from Great Britain. But you've, you've used many times this word anarchist. And I want to make clear to folks listening that the type of anarchism you're advocating isn't the type that would say, oh, we need to do propaganda of the deed. We need to go out there and stir up fights in the streets. It, it's not essentially what people are seeing on their television screens necessarily with Antifa. Um, There might be people who come from the same place who aren't in the streets, but it seems to me all the anarchists self-described I've met have never once advocated violence. I've never heard it. I've never seen it. Um, I will be greatly surprised if I see other people do. So what would you say to maybe uh, put at ease some of our listeners who hear that word and think, oh, chaos,
0: anarchy? Well, I would say that um, while the word "maiden" seems scary to you, um, the ideas behind it are not. Um, it is simply uh, being against the expansion, the power of the state and authority imposed uh, by it, um, especially uh, the monopolistic, uh, uh, violent authority that it seems to uh, lord over us. Um, the power to tax and the power to murder uh, are not things that I want to have concentrated in anyone's hands, let alone a select few. Um, so I think talking to different audiences, you aim these discussions differently. And yes. I think that's really helpful to actually have discussions rather than uh, simply bumper stickers, which bumper stickers are fine. Um, absolutely. Sometimes you need a great slogan. Um, end the war, end the Fed. Very straightforward, and it works well for chanting. But there is more thought that needs to go into that, and uh, and I think that's why, again, a website like antiwar.com really spoke out to me, because it wasn't just we're propeace.com, we're for everyone getting along, and also, by the way, here are a bunch of government programs you want to advocate for. Uh, instead, the position was, The U.S. is intervening across the world, and we are against that. There is a history of it. It's doing it currently, and it seeks to do it in the future. Um, We should be against those things. So I think anarchism is the uh, logical conclusion of libertarianism. Um, The the base of libertarian ideas that we see in the founding of the United States that come from classical liberal teachings of Adam Smith, uh, von Balwerke, And uh, Menger in the Austrian School of Economics, Uh, many of these ideas that that we carry with us today, they they have a tremendous amount of influence and import that uh, I can't say that I much better. I am not a skilled economist, especially on the uh, on the shoulders of those men. However, our circumstances have changed now in 2017. 2017 is not 1776, and I, I think that's a real conversation that we need to have. Um, and, and for your listeners who, again, are, are worried about chaos in the streets from anarchism, what about the chaos we see today, uh, both inflicted uh, by uh, the government, by other governments, for example. The, the concentration of power is a problem in and of itself. So uh, I think uh, there is a better way forward. And I think um, using markets that have uh, mechanisms uh, to be able to uh, communicate uh prices and uh scarcity are are in- incredibly important. So we come from a a lineage that is both pro market and anti state which uh to some may make a whole lot of sense but I think there's a case that can easily be made uh, to conservatives, to liberals, people across the co- political spectrum, um, when you take certain issues that may be important to them, uh, whether it might be marriage equality or gun rights or uh, possibly uh, legalization of marijuana or all in general, um, I think if you take certain issues and, and speak with someone about them, uh, they can they can not only be productive in conversations, uh, but as well as activism. And, and that's where we're really trying to, uh, in the upcoming year, um, is trying to, to work with different groups to show that the private sector, uh, upon intended Trump's, uh, the government sector.
1: Absolutely, and often the private sector serves the public, and the public sector serves special interests and private interests. Our language has been so screwed up by, I say, our civic religion, I suppose, and Mm -hmm. I, I really hope folks are hearing you, and they check out the Libertarian Institute. There is so much there, uh, so much to learn from. Or Even if you don't completely agree, folks, it is something I think worth checking out because it is so different from what you hear in establishment news and so much of the political discourse from Democrats and Republicans. We need to get away from the daily tit-for-tat that goes on between the parties and sort of refresh ourselves on what are the basics. What is this country about? at the end of the day what is its center its cornerstone and I think that's Liberty and Jared you and the folks there at the Libertarian Institute are helping share that knowledge now before I let you go though we have limited time okay. but I do say that I live in a world of sound like we've never met I've only met you now by hearing your voice uh-huh. so if you could take one album one song whatever you want to pick put it on vinyl and it's the one thing you listen to. Now, anything, if you have to listen to for the rest of your days, might get annoying. Let's just uh, let's, let's leave that alone. What do okay. you pick?
0: Oh, man, this is a tough one. Well, let me preface it by saying that I used to play in a grindcore band in <laughs> Texas, which is very, yeah, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> fast metal with a punk influence um, and keyboards. Um, and we did that during the Bush administration and had much fun at BFW halls and all places across Texas. Um, and uh, at the same time, though, I love a lot of different types of music. So if I had to narrow it down to just one, I'm going to go with the self-titled Doors album. Oh, wow. The first, the first release.
1: That's if, I had a, if I
0: had to pick a song, I would just stick with Soul Kitchen.
1: Okay. Man, that's, that's a good choice. I got to get back into... Uh... More classic rock, because I have to say, over at my house, something's happened to me and my roommates. We're only listening to, like, old soul music, like the OJs and Teddy Pendergrass and the Muscle Shoals sound, like Mavis Staples, and it's so... I love it. Maybe it's because it just sounds good on vinyl. It sounds good out of big speakers, but, man,
0: grindcore, huh? That's intense. You know what? I've got a better answer, actually, now that you mentioned soul, um, James Brown and his band, the JBs. Yeah. Uh, Fred Wesley and the JBs have a great song that mostly just has some scat from James Brown in it, but the title is "I'm Paying Taxes" and what am I buying? And the, the reply is a whole lot of government money and a whole lot of crying. Yeah. And that that's that's the song for about seven or eight minutes, great instrumental interludes. Um, I think that right there can reach people. Soul music, James Brown being against taxes and violence in the government, what's not to like?
1: Oh, amen, or hallelujah, to be less denominational. Jared, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Um, And again, I hope folks check out the Libertarian Institute. I'd love to have you back sometime. I'd love to have on Sheldon or Scott or anybody from there. This, I think, is an ongoing saga we'll learn together, I think.
0: I think that's absolutely true, and I'm honored to to be on your show, Joe. You're doing a tremendous job. The last two shows uh, were great. Um, I was so excited to be uh, asked to be on, and uh, absolutely, we'll we'll have to do this again.
1: Thank you, Jared. Thank you. All right, folks, that has been the Joey Clark Radio Hour for tonight. Thank you again to Jared LaBelle for joining me. And let's go out to The Song Remains the Same. Hopefully, the political song won't remain the same. Hopefully we'll slowly but surely start changing minds. Maybe not to exactly how I think or how Jared thinks, but to some improvement rather than the constant drive towards government control. Everybody have a good night.